which is why the best companies have processes in place. Because if you're only going to focus on two or three things, you want those to be good things. They don't have to be the number one, number two, and number three out of the whole universe, but they have to be really, really good ideas. And then you have to have processes in place so that when all the shiny objects come out throughout the year, you know to say no to those. So the big question is this, how do small business owners like us grow our leadership, develop our teams, and scale our business in a way that allows us to get our products and services out to the world, yet still remain profitable? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. I'm Bradley Hamner, and this is the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Before we get into today's episode, did you know that Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agency owners in the country, providing monthly accounting, CFO services, and tax preparation? Check them out at club.capital. Welcome to another episode of the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. My name is Bradley Hamner, your host. In today's episode, we have Dave Dotson. He wrote the book, The Manager's Handbook, Five Simple Steps to Build a Team, Stay Focused, Make Better Decisions, and Crush your competition. I did not know exactly what to expect in this interview. And I don't want to say surprisingly, but I really enjoyed this conversation. And I think initially, whenever I thought building a team and staying focused, okay, those are things that are going to resonate with our audience. And I think that they will. I think some of the stories and the way that he went back and looked at people who have in corporate America, et cetera, have approached certain things. That to me was probably the biggest surprise. And ultimately, I came away with a number of things that are going to think are going to help you in your small business journey. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Dave Dotson. Ambition is the first step towards success. It's time to level up your agency. And Coach P Consulting will help you do just that by using the same strategies he used to sell over 700 life insurance policies in 2021 alone. Now, this is not your regular one and done type coaching. You'll get personalized coaching two days a week, every week of the month, and you'll get a live look behind the scenes of his team training and an office that's performing at the highest level. There's a reason Coach P Consulting is the fastest growing coaching company for insurance agency owners in the country. Coach P will train your team alongside his own and show you the exact steps they're taking to achieve Chairman Circle, Exotic Travel, and Multi-Line Presence Club and be one of the few agents to be selected to have a third office. So whether your goal is to be at the top of your local market or amongst the best in the country, this training will give you the strategies and the tactics to get there. For just $250 a month, you'll get high-level coaching each week from someone who is already getting it done at that level, and his strategies work, and it's time to put them to work for you. Sign up at coachpconsulting.com and get your first full month for free when you mention the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Dave Dodson, welcome to the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Good. I'm glad to be here. Let's get into it. This is an interesting thing to talk about. We do. I'm really excited to chat with you. We first start with always background and origin story. I love hearing people's journey and their backstory, kind of how they got to where they are. So why don't you share with our listening audience a little bit about your origin story? Yeah, I was afraid you were going to ask that because I listened to your podcast and I, I heard that over and over again. So I thought, oh my goodness. The short version is that I grew up in rural Colorado and my dad was in the farm equipment manufacturing business. So I grew up walking the fields with him on the weekend and so forth. What was kind of noteworthy for me is, first of all, I lived in a world where everybody was separated. Half the people were farmers and half the people were ranchers. But my dad was an entrepreneur 
And he built up a decent sized business and then it all collapsed when I was in high school because of some changes in farm policy in Washington, D.C., and also when interest rates spiked in the late 70s or mid-70s. And it really shaped me in a lot of ways. First of all, I arrived at college really with no money, so I had to work in a slaughterhouse after class at Stanford to pay for college. But also, I saw how hard he worked, and I didn't want to be in a position where my success was based on something that happened in Washington, D.C. or in somebody else's hands. So I've always gravitated towards businesses when I was a CEO, and I was a CEO for five times before I went back to Stanford to teach at the business school. I always gravitated towards businesses that were basically the success or failure really hung on how well you executed Mm -hmm. and the ability to kind of see around corners and predict the future. And so I've just been a guy who's been focused on what are the best ways to get things done. And I love studying people who are much better at me at getting things done. That's kind of my origin story. Well, I have a soft spot in my heart to farming. My dad is still to this day a farmer who's farmed for his entire life, owns a farming operation, farmed 10,000 acres at one time. They've whittled that down a little bit now to about four or 5,000 acres, I believe is what this last is. So definitely have a soft spot in my heart for farmers. Okay. Bradley, that that was a big farm your dad had. It was. And I had bad allergy, so I got nothing into any of that stuff. So don't ask me anything around farming. I know <laughs> okay. I know nothing. My dad listened to this and he's not proud of that about me. But anyway, no, it's okay. I have a great relationship with my dad. All right. So here's a couple things. I love, congratulations, by the way, you shared with me right before we hit record that your book, The Manager's Handbook, which just came out in July, we're recording this in September, came out in July of 2023, just hit the best sellers list. So congratulations on that. And the title and so many of the subtitle alone hooked me. And I said, oh, this is going to be great to get you on the podcast. But congratulations first around the book. And why don't you share with our audience just the impetus about what went into saying, you know what, I'm going to take all this knowledge that I have and actually begin to put it in a book. Well, actually, that's not what happened. What happened was this is not a book about how I ran companies or be more like me. It actually came about slightly different way, Bradley, which was that once I went back to Stanford and I was teaching, I was really interested in why some people are just so much better at getting things done than others. Mm. And so I wanted to study and understand that so that I could help my students and also the companies that I'm an investor in. And as I was looking at Sam Walton, I came across the notion that in 1962, when he opened up his store, he was surrounded by Sears and Target and JCPenney and Kmart. He didn't invent anything. He didn't invent the discount store, the department store, whatever. And he completely annihilated them because he out-implemented them day in and day out. And as I started pulling on the string, Bradley, and more and more, I even came across people like Steve Jobs and realized, wait a minute, Apple didn't invent the PC or the mouse or portable music or the smartphone. Other people did that. And then he crushed them by out-implementing them. So Mm -hmm. what was it about these people that was common? And I realized it wasn't about their attributes, where they grew up, their personalities or anything. It was that all of these successful leaders had shared five common skill characteristics. And Bradley, there were no exceptions. And as I discovered this over, and this is over about a three-year period of time, I realized, wow, this is something because these are skills that can be learned by people. And the difference between these people and the rest of us mere mortals is they learned the skills and then they insisted on these skills being learned by the people that worked for them. Just look at Steve Jobs, for example. When he passed away, Apple basically didn't skip a beat. 
Mm-hmm. Apple was not a product of Steve Jobs' personality. It was a product of an organization that he had built, like Sam Walton, when he died, Walmart just kept going and has completely clobbered the competition ever since. So the book is really about me identifying and observing these skills, breaking it down into sub-skills, and then going out and finding the very best people and say, how do you do this? What do you do? What are your tricks? What are your techniques? And curating it and getting it into a book. So I'm sort of like the good high school football player. I knew how the questions to ask. I knew what happened. I knew the lingo. And then I went out and I went to the very best NFL players and said, okay, why are you guys so good at what you do? And I'm going to put it in a book. That's fantastic. One of the things that resonates with me the most is whenever you said out implementing them, number one. Number two, these are skills. That word has really coming up quite a bit recently in my own personal life. And I've thought a lot around skill acquisition and then skill mm-hmm. application itself. And so sometimes we can read a book. You mentioned Steve Jobs. We can read Becoming Steve Jobs or Isaacson's book about yeah. Steve Jobs. And we can begin to go, wow, he was such a visionary or whatever. And then it's something we can't obtain is sometimes what it feels like. Well, I just can't be him or I can't be her. I can't, I don't have those attributes about me. Those were not natural gifts that I have. So I think the thing that resonates personally with me the most, and I think it will our audience as well, is that you're saying these are skills. These are the five skills. They all possess them. And because they're skills, they can be learned. And actually we can begin to implement them in our own businesses. All right, so what are the five? Okay, I want to say one other thing, Bradley, why you said that, which I, I is that with books like Isaacson's book on Steve Jobs and so the list goes, it's fun and tantalizing for us to read books and listen to podcasts and so forth about people who are kind of larger than life. But it's kind of boring to write a book and say, oh, by the way, Steve Jobs was just really good at hiring and here's how he hired But the fact of the matter is that that's what I want if I'm going to run a business. And my guess is that's what your listeners want. Like you said, Bradley, you and I are not going to become Steve Jobs, but I can promise you this. You and I can run a meeting like Jeff Bezos runs meetings, ran meetings in Amazon because it's just a process. So anyway, anyway, you asked about the five things. The five things identified were a commitment to building a team, fanatical custodian of time, a willingness to seek and take advice an ability to set and adhere to priorities. And then the surprise number five, and I wasn't looking for number five. I was just trying to figure out what these guys did, is an obsession with quality. And with each of those, then I broke it down into sub-skills in in the book, The Manager's Handbook. Because, for example, the first one, a commitment to building a team, I don't think that's a big aha, right? Because a class, we have guests and they say, what's the most important thing you do? And everybody always says, well, I surround myself with good people. People understand that. That's not very useful for my reader. My reader wants to say, fine, 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 I get it. But how do you build a team? How do you do it? Well, You're good at interviewing. You're good at giving feedback. You do exit interviews. You do 360 reviews. You know how to coach people that are underperformers. I break each one of those down into step-by-step how you do it based on not how I did it. And of course, Bradley, I'm bringing some of my own experience to bear as, as a CEO, but mostly I'm curating how the very, very best people did it. And so it's five skills. And within those sub skills in each chapter, I wrote, I tried to write them using the absolute least number of pages possible because the people who buy my book are busy. They're running something. 
They've got a lot of pulls on their time. They don't have time to read four books on hiring and three books on delegation and, and 20 blogs on how to run a good meeting. They go, give it to me, give it to me in about 10 pages. And at the end, give me a summary because I got a company to run and I can relate to it because when I was a CEO, I had a company to run. I think I want to share this with everybody too. And every one of these five, we could have an hour podcast talking and going deep on the skill and then the sub skills with each one of those. So I think our brevity in moving from one to the next should not be dismissed as the importance of each one of them just because of a time sake so that we can just at least touch on each one of them. And because when I hear the ability to seek and then implement advice from others, it's like, man, okay, seeking it out is one thing and then actually taking the advice and doing Mm -hmm. something with it. We could have a whole discussion around just that thing, just that alone. Okay, so if you would, let's go by each one of them. And I'd like to maybe make a comment on those because you're right. And number one, commitment to building a team. Everybody hears that and says, well, I mean, unless you're wanting to be a solopreneur, of course, you're going to have to build a team. I've heard that for years and have a good team, have hire A players. The question is, how do I actually do that? So I think those are great sub skills to learn. All right, number two on the fanatical custodian of time. By the way, this started because I was having coffee with a buddy of mine, Tom Staggs, who at the time was the COO of Disney. So he had about 250,000 people reporting up through his organization across six continents. And I was teaching at Stanford. We've known each other for years. He was on campus. I said, let's have a cup of coffee. So he's down there in the outdoor courtyard. So always, the weather's always beautiful at Stanford. And I'm there around five minutes late and I'm thinking about all the emails I haven't got. And there he is just calm as can be looking at his phone. And so I said, Tom, what's going on here? Because you've got a quarter of a million people reporting up to you and I'm the one who's late. What's going on? And he said, of course, I surround myself with good people. But then he talked about how important it was that he was a careful custodian of his time. And that was not just being this autocrat that says, don't come in here, don't do that, and all these guards around it. What he did is he said, I got the same number of hours in the day as you, David. I have to make all those hours really, really count. And mm-hmm. here's how I do it. And then soon after that, a mentor of mine, Michael Porter, who's a professor at Harvard Business School and wrote 19 books on management, is actually the most prolific business school professor in terms of writing ever. And he was visiting us and we were hanging out in Jackson, Wyoming, and he was watching me kind of scramble around. And he did, I joke with him that he did an intervention and he pulled me aside. He said, like, what is going on with you? And he said, well, let me show you something. And he showed me a study that he had done with two other faculty members at Harvard. They followed around 27 high-performing CEOs, get this, Bradley, in 15-minute increments, watching what they do day in and day out. And I think it was 30,000 pieces of data that they ended up collecting on that study, 60,000 hours of data that they collected. And what they found is that these men and women were ruthless about how they managed their time, but all of them used simple techniques. They didn't have fancy apps. They didn't have, they didn't go to weekend seminars on time management. They just had a handful of things that they could keep doing year in and year out. Not those New Year's resolutions that you get rid of. You try for a week and then you go back to how you did before. And that was a fundamental reason why they were high performing. And then what they did is they insisted on the people that worked for them also manage their time well. You're not going to run Disney If you're the only one who's managing your time well and everybody else is going crazy with their time, or you're not going to be Sam Walton because Sam Walton manages his time. Sam Walton 
built Walmart because not only did he learn to manage his time, but then he was a leader and taught all the people that worked for him how to manage their time. So the book sets up, how do you handle email? How do you plan your day? So I tell people, if I only have time to read a couple of chapters, read chapters eight, nine, and 10, because eight, nine, and 10, I promise will save you two hours every single day of wasted time. And you'll barely have to change your daily habits. Man, that's fantastic. I have to tell you, one of my business mentors and one of my coaches, he tells a story that in, this is maybe 15 years ago, he had an opportunity to fly to Switzerland and spend at least a day, maybe two days, I can't recall, with Richard Branson. And hmm. he said, at the time, I had one business, we were doing just a couple million dollars in revenue, hand maybe 10 team members, something like that. And he said, I was stressed to the max. And we fly out there and Richard wakes up. He has casual breakfast. He's not checking his phone. He's not doing anything. And he's running all of these billion-dollar companies, right, as we all know. He said he had a 15-minute discussion with his EA. We went and skied all day. He never checked his phone, never did anything, came back down, had a quick 15-minute meeting with his EA, and that was his day. And he said, wait a minute. If you thought about the incremental, the levels of how many more companies and people that reported to him and the revenue and other things, if you multiplied my stress level times where he is, it would be <laughs> crushing. He said, I thought to myself, wait a minute, what is wrong with this picture that I'm so stressed right. when I'm running this? And that's not to diminish the stress of running a small business. So we get it. But it was just this thing that really resonated with him. And of course, he's passed that story down. That's what reminds me of whenever you shared your story as well as that with the CEO of Disney. I mean, that many people, you would think to yourself that they would just be running around ragged all the time. Yeah. That's actually oh. the opposite. And Bradley, it's a mistake to think, oh, well, okay, but that's Richard Branson. And, and if I had a big company like that and all that stuff, I could go skiing too. It's not what you do when you get there. Right. It's what is how he got there. Right. You have to do that all the way on, on the way up. So if you're running, let's say you're running a modest size insurance firm, right? Well, mm -hmm. okay. You don't wait until you're running a conglomerate before you do that. That's how you end up in five states mm -hmm. by doing it that way. And oh, I saw it over and over again. That's such a good point. Okay. Number three. Okay. So number three is a willingness to seek and take advice. Mm -hmm. And it really comes down to this. The high performing leaders know that there's a premium on being able to get to the right answer quickly so they can get on to the next thing. The second is they understand that it's important to get the right answer. And most things that we face in life have been met by somebody else or close enough that there's strong pattern recognition. Mm. So these people were really good at, for example, convening a group. It can be your board of directors. It could be some advisors. It could just be some people who give you advice. But if you just sort of bring people into the room and say, hey, I want to chat a little bit about what's going on in my business, you're going to get about 10 minutes worth of advice in 90 minutes. I want to flip that around. I want to say, how could you get five hours worth of advice in 90 minutes? And those people who do it, they run a structured process when they're getting advice. And it also includes even when you pick up the phone and call. And so what I learned is, so I get called a lot for advice because I'm a professor now. And so I have a lot of students and I also do a lot of investing. So we have about 70 companies in our portfolio. So I get a lot of incoming calls, right? For questions and advice, because those people understand that people like me and others have seen the problems before. But what I've observed is that there's a certain way that you handle that call. You start with the problem, how you give background information, et cetera. And I break it down into five steps. 
so that when you call somebody for 20 minutes of advice, you're really getting two hours worth of information out of it. Mm -hmm. So the point of it is, it's sort of like when we went back to building a team, Bradley, it's not a platitude like, oh, you know, go get advice. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm supposed to get advice. It's how do you go get advice in a way that is meaningful? How do you find mentors and advisors and use them in a way that would be effective? Because the people like Mary Barra, who runs General Motors, I mean, she's very, very purposeful about how she seeks and takes advice throughout her whole career. Not when she became CEO of General Motors, but that's how she got to be CEO of General Motors. As a business owner, you know the importance of being able to set goals, track your progress, and see the results. Well, that's exactly what our partners at Today App Pro have been able to build just for you. Today App is corporate approved. It allows you to track activities, build custom word tracks. It allows you to calculate all your commissions and your bonus structures in a seamless fashion, and it integrates perfectly with your company CRM. Today App is truly the best office software to manage all of the day-to-day -day in one place. It can even manage your employees' time, track production, have a leaderboard with metrics, and has custom reporting. Visit todayapppro.com, todayapppro.com, and schedule a demo and let them know you heard about them on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast. Are you an agency owner looking to grow your revenue, increase your bottom line, and better manage your taxes? Club Capital is here to help. Club Capital is the largest accounting and advisory firm for insurance agents in the country, providing monthly accounting, tax strategy, and CFO services. Way more than bookkeeping and your everyday run-of-the-mill tax prep, Club Capital is focused on providing financial and tax advisory services that help you plan and forecast your agency's performance. Their financial dashboards and agency forecasting tools help you better understand your agency's historical performance, create and measure future targets, and see how your agency compares to your peers around the country. Imagine what it would be like to understand the impact to your bottom line when deciding to hire a new employee or forecast the impact rate changes or commission rates will have on your business. With over $200 million in tracked annual revenue and $140 million in tracked annual expenses, Club Capital has the data and the team to help you make better informed decisions for your agency. They will help you turn that back office stress into the backbone of your agency's success by giving you the tools to take your agency and your leadership to the next level. Visit club.capital today to book a solution overview with one of our business consultants. Club Capital, way more than a CPA firm. Have you ever thought, wouldn't it be incredible if you had direct access to our expert podcast guest in real time and be able to ask a question specific to your business? Well, now you have the opportunity to do that. After three and a half years, we're finally launching a leadership podcast community, and we want you to be a part of it. We're launching this podcast community on June the 1st. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast, and you'll get all the details. You'll be able to interact with every single one of the podcasts that we record in real time and ask us questions and be able to ask the guest questions. In addition to that, we're going to have a monthly exclusive Q&A just for our leadership podcast listeners. Go to club.capital forward slash podcast. That's club.capital forward slash podcast and be one of the very first to join. I can't wait to see you in our leadership podcast community. I did a really powerful exercise. I won't be able to kind of share on here that set up the exercise. But at the end, the lesson of the exercise was one of the hardest things that we do is to raise our hand and ask for help. And the willingness to seek advice and then the willingness to actually take the advice. And the thing that you said that resonated with me 
was whatever problem it is I'm facing in my business, somebody else has faced it and solved it successfully. So if I can go about seeking it out and then to have a framework to be able to take a two-hour conversation down into 20 minutes, I mean, now I'm accelerating. They say the best way to learn is through experience, but it doesn't always have to be your experience, which is why reading books is such a great way to learn. It's awesome. All right, number four. Okay, number four is ability to set and adhere to priorities. And by the way, there is nobody I came across that was more focused about setting and adhering to priorities than Steve Jobs. He was fanatical about it. And we think about Apple and all the things that they do, but note that they basically rolled everything out one at a time. Mm -hmm. And what I learned from Steve Jobs and people that work for Steve Jobs, and I'm close to someone who was on his, still on their board. She was on his board while he was CEO. And then I had a chance to visit with Johnny Ive, who was Apple's chief designer. What I learned from those two and looking at Steve Jobs and researching Steve Jobs is the notion that setting priorities is not about not doing the things you're not supposed to do. It's about not doing really, really good things. You're working on something else. And that's where setting and adhering to priorities gets tough, which is why the best companies have processes in place. Because if you're only going to focus on two or three things, you want those to be good things. They don't have to be the number one, number two, and number three out of the whole universe, but they have to be really, really good ideas. And then you have to have processes in place so that when all the shiny objects come out throughout the year, you know to say no to those. The most revolutionary story on setting and adhering to priorities is actually Herb Kelleher, who founded and ran Southwest Airlines forever. And they were down to about $143, I think it was, in their checking account. And they were about to go bankrupt as American Airlines was crushing them in, in their home market of Dallas. And Herb Keller said, you know what? We're going to focus on one thing. Planes only make money when they're in the sky. So we're going to turn our planes around in 10 minutes with a 10-minute turn. That was their key performance indicator. And the whole company rallied around one thing. And that's all anybody talked about is 10-minute turn, 10-minute turn, 10-minute turn. And they didn't worry about the price of jet fuel. And they didn't worry about pricing. They worried about the 10-minute turn. Well, as we know, Southwest Airlines annihilated American Airlines in their home market over that period of time. And it's because he was so phenomenally focused on one thing. Going back to Steve Jobs, we think about these larger than life people and go, oh my gosh, Steve Jobs, he's got music and he's got iMovies and on and, and all those things. Well, that's because he was focused at every step along the way. So I have a question around that. I've heard that story about Southwest Airlines and Kelleher before. I actually did not know that he was down to that small amount in the checking account. I had not heard that detail before. I learned that because he came by campus at Stanford when I was there. So he said, well, just meet me for a drink. So I heard this story. It was in the perfect way. He had a cigarette in his hand and a cocktail in the other hand. And he's telling me the story. It was one of my highlight of my business life is to hear Herb Keller tell this story straight from the horse's mouth. But anyway. Well, that is phenomenal. Oh, yeah, my goodness. Yeah. That even makes it 100 times better to actually get that. Let me ask you this. Okay. So my question is not around the adherence and the focus he had to do nothing but to focus on that, okay? That's another sub-skill around we're going to continue on this, and he didn't get shiny object syndrome, okay? What I'm actually curious about is the choosing of that KPI. Now, he ended up where that idea, that stroke of genius kind of came from. I think for some of us, we think, I think I know what my KPI is, but 
at the end of the day, it's not really what the KPI is. Okay. And I wish there was a story I heard of this similar. Does that make sense? Is it going about, how do we go about actually choosing what that right thing needs to actually be, what the choosing and the setting of the right priorities, because we can hear that and we go through it and we're like, here's our priorities. I probably shouldn't have 17 of them. Okay. Mm -hmm. We know that, but maybe we're choosing the wrong priorities. It's hard for me to kind of express exactly what I'm trying to get to, but he chose the right one. He stuck with it. And that's what turned the company around. How do we learn from that to be able to do that in our own business? Well, it's a brilliant question because there's two verbs I use, set and adhere to priorities. And you have to set them correctly to your point, Bradley. Otherwise, you get everybody focused on the wrong thing. And there's a process on how to identify, for example, a KPI. In the book, I tell a story about a CEO who came to me and and very complicated business. And it took us about three, four months to finally figure out what the right KPI was. Then he implemented it. Then we came back and we had to make an adjustment to the KPI. He went back and implemented it. And then the company took off. By the way, KPIs are not, what's all the data that I can collect? And I want this fancy dashboard and I want these numbers and these charts and these bars. That's not a KPI. KPI is when you have one or two things like the 10 minute turn and you get everybody focused on that. And you say, you know what? If we do an A job here, we can do a B job in these other things and even a C job in some of these things here, but we're going to excel in this one area. And just to further the benefit of this, you can always, after a couple of years, then say, okay, we've got that nailed. Let's add another thing. But doing this one at a time. And in the book, the manager's handbook, I describe what this process is about how to develop the right KPI. But there are a few things that I've seen other than making sure you're surrounded by the right people that are singularly more powerful than discovering and implementing that one or two magic numbers. That, that drive your business. And every company has it. There's no doubt in my mind. I think people can tell I'm asking this question from my own knowledge. Like I have a school board. Yep. It's, on an, it's on a Google sheet. It's nothing fancy. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's nicely color coded. It has a select few numbers. It doesn't have a ton. We have dashboards that kind of surround it, right? We have a marketing dashboard, financial dashboard, sales dashboard. Those are like satellite dashboards. But I'm thinking to myself, Yeah, no, I haven't distinguished. And this is off the top of my head. I think there's maybe five numbers on the scoreboard, Mm -hmm. something like that. So it's like it's adhering to all the general businessy textbook things. Okay, I don't have 25 things on there. Okay, good. We've got five. That's fine. But I haven't thought through this is the number. This is the KPI number. And it's easy for me just to go, well, it's revenue. No, it's not revenue. (laughs) There's oftentimes this mistake that people make, which is what is a trailing indicator versus a leading indicator? And most people make the mistake with our KPIs is it's a history lesson. It's sort of tell me what happened last week or last month or yesterday. But what you want for a KPI to be effective is you want it to actually be an operational tool. So let's just go back to the me and Herb in the bar, okay? Because it was operational, what it meant is that everybody, the flight attendants, the gate attendant, the baggage handlers, they all were focused on this 10-minute turn. And so that's why the flight attendants would come out with the passengers at the end and they're picking up the trash on the way. Okay, everybody's focused on the 10-minute turn. Now imagine that you are running the gates at DFW Airport and you discover that a couple of your planes have consistent, or a couple of the crews have consistently been at 18 minutes. 
Okay, that's actionable. You can walk down from your office and say, hey, what's going on with the 18 minutes? And they go, well, the problem is, is that we don't have this tractor that we used to have. And so we're having to go bar. And he goes, okay, I'll get you another tractor. Boom. And now they're back to 10 minutes. KPIs have to be operational where people can make decisions throughout the day or throughout the week. And so that's the difference between a trailing indicator and a leading indicator. That's good. Well, you gave me a good rider downer. KPI is not a history lesson. Oh, that's good. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> like, okay, that's a one-liner for sure and taken. All right, we made it to number five in good time. Okay, obsession with quality. And you said, as you set this up, you said that was surprising to you. I didn't expect it. And I'm not quite sure exactly how I stumbled upon it, but there was this moment when I realized it was universal. And I put down, the word I use is an obsession with quality. And the important distinction is that these people did not view quality as a morality or being going right by your customers or anything like that. It was a way to make more money, okay? Because what they realize is that if, let me ask you this, Bradley, which do you think your listeners fear more? A competitor who has an amazing sales and marketing department and a pretty good product, or a competitor that has an amazing product and a pretty good sales and marketing. Obviously, it's the one that's got an amazing product. Right. So if you have an amazing product, first of all, you don't have to have the same kind of sales and marketing that your competitors have. Hmm. Next, you have pricing power. Everybody knows that price increases or price decreases go straight to the bottom line. There's nothing to improve your earnings faster than being able to price your product a little higher than anybody else. You cannot price your product at a premium unless you are offering superior service. The next thing is, is that high quality reduces your costs. The evidence is universal because of rework and taking customer calls and so forth. So now you've got a situation where you've got pricing power, your costs are going down. And last but not least, we all know in business that there's kind of the front door and the back door, you know, getting new customers, and keeping your existing customers. Well, the best way to keep your existing customers is not because you've got a great website, not because you've got flashy salespeople. It's because you're delivering the product that they want over and over again, and they want to keep buying from you. Mm. Well, the easiest thing is to keep your existing customers and getting them to buy from you next year, as opposed to having going out and getting brand new customers. So now you've got pricing power, lower cost, and something that's driving revenue. So that's why people are obsessed with quality because they know it was going to make money. But okay, so now how do we go? So everybody goes, okay, I get it, David. But now what do we do? We have a chin-up bar, sort of like a poster in the lunchroom kind of thing. How do you actually drive quality? Well, it is not about a speech. It is not about a slogan. I go through how SafeLight Autoglass figures out what are the two or three features that really matter to their customers? And then they double down like crazy on that. And they have a process of how they're doing it. They don't care about quality more than the next people. They have a process to identify it and then double down on it. I'd love to talk about it in the section on quality is Intuit. They make QuickBooks and TurboTax and those products. Now, step back and think about Intuit. Intuit has dominated this sector for decades, okay? I think probably easily three decades they've dominated the sector. What do they do? It's simple accounting software. TurboTax is basically an automated way to fill out a form, okay? Mm -hmm. They have no business dominating this market decade after decade. Well, the reason that they do is Scott Cook has a process on how to find out more than anybody else knows what their customers want. And in the software business, you're 
always have developers and people saying, well, what if we do this? And what do we do? Let's add this schedule. And Scott Cook says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, we've run a process. They call it follow me home. We run a process. We know that these are the three things that matter to our customers. Everybody work on that. And that's how they've dominated those markets for year after year. And I have a good friend, Paul English, who was one of the co-founders of Kayak. But before he founded the travel site, he sold a business to Intuit. And he was the chief technology officer there. So I got some really good insight into Intuit. And I've talked to Paul about it. And I've said, okay, I kind of read this stuff about Intuit, but tell me what's really going on there. And he said, oh my God, there's nobody I learned more from about product quality and the importance of it than Intuit and Cook. And then he started Kayak. Was that in place, you may know him, I know he's passed now, from the book Trillion Dollar Coach, he was the CEO of Intuit. Was that in place, did he establish that then, or is that the new CEO that came in with Intuit now that established that? I don't know. The Trillion Dollar Coach is a great book, and I actually referenced that interestingly enough, in the section on seeking and take advice, because I talk about how to find an executive coach and how to use a coach. By the way, as you know, Bradley, this is a how-to manual. So for example, when I talk about getting an executive coach, these are the questions you should ask for an interview. These are actually the places you can go to to find coaches. This is the process that you should run when using an executive coach. And I realize it's a little bit off topic from quality, but when you talk about the trillion dollar coach, I couldn't help but kind of loop back on that. Well, no, 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 that's good. I think that even for people, insurance is a good example. You may say, well, I don't want to affect the quality. It's not my job. I can't go in and change a policy structure or whatever. But the customers are doing as much as they can. They're interacting with you. You can affect the quality of that interaction and that experience with your office, with your agency, with your business, if you're not in insurance. Is that fair? 100%. And just with insurance, I've had the same insurance agent for, I don't know, maybe 20 years. And we have, for a bunch of reasons, sort of a complicated, we're a complicated account, but not a crazy complicated account. Mm -hmm. And there are things that they do every day that wow me, or not every day, there are things that they do throughout the year that wow me, that make it unthinkable that I would change insurance mm. agents. That's why I stick around. But this goes back to the lessons from Intuit and Safe Light Auto Glass. I talk about Zappos, that there's two really common hazards about quality that, that people make all the time. One is they assume what they think matters to their customer. Mm. And they hear it from their employees, their own intuition. And so that's mistake number one. I'm sorry, there's three. Mistake number two is you define quality as let's put every feature we can think of into the product. That is actually not a route to quality, okay? Mm. The route to quality is figuring out the two or three things that matter and focus in on that, not add every imaginable feature because the problem with every imaginable feature, and I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but when you add a lot, is now you have a very expensive product Mm. of which most of that your customers are not willing to pay for. And the last is not being realistic about how you measure your own quality. There was a study that many, many years ago, and it came out that 93% of drivers in America thought that they were above average. <laughs> of, course it, of course, it can't be. It can only be 50%, right? Right, right, right. And, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard the, the show. It's not on anymore, but Garrison Keillor, and he had a show about Lake Welbegon. And in the introductions on NPR, in the introduction, he says Lake Wilbegon, where all the kids are above average. Well, there's actually a term for this. They call it now the Lake Wilbegon effect, which is how we exaggerate 
how well we drive and so forth. Okay, so these are all funny stories. Now I'm going to tell you a not so funny story that relates to us. There was a study that was done. It was uh, Bain and Company did the study. And 80% of the CEOs and leaders that they surveyed thought that they offered a superior customer experience. Okay. Mm. Now I'm going to ask you a question now. Okay. I know it's your podcast, but I'm going to ask you a question. 80% said they did. What percent of their customers said they got a superior customer experience? I mean, first number is 20%. Eight, 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 eight. Okay. Talk about the Lake Wobegon effect. That's how far off they are. So now you, me, all your listeners, why do we think we're so much wiser than all of these CEOs mm-hmm. that Bain, we're like them, okay? Mm-hmm. Or we're almost certainly like them, that we've exaggerated the customer experience or what we think the customer's perception is. Wow. And so we talk about how do you go out there and really find out what your customers are thinking? Because if you do that, then you can be like into it. Man, that's great. It's been an awesome conversation. I've learned so much from you. And then just hearing your experiences, getting to have a bourbon and meeting with with Herb Kelleher and then Joni Ive. I mean, what an incredible opportunities to get to meet with people that we've all kind of revered over the years. I think this is great. Obviously, people are going to want to be able to pick up the book. Where would you point them to for resources, et cetera? The easy thing is just Keep it easy, go on Amazon, the manager's handbook. There's actually another book called the manager's handbook. So mine's the one that's red, white, and blue and got the conference table in the middle. The other one I think has a butterfly on it. So the one from Dodson, but the manager's handbook. And then I know this is going to sound a little bit like I'm a door-to-door salesman for the book. This is not why I'm saying this. If you get the book and you like it, get it in the hands of your management team. That's the difference between Jeff Bezos, for example. He didn't say it's okay for me to run a meeting. Well, he wanted all of people at Amazon to run a meeting. And that's where it becomes transformative. Awesome. David, thank you so much. Hope to have you back on in the future. Bradley, I would love to. Well, I hope that podcast served you. I love hearing some of the stories from people that he interviewed. And obviously he got super close and personal with a lot of those people. I mean, to be right there with the Southwest CEO, those are not things, conversations that you hear secondhand or whatever, but to be able to experience them first person, I think is truly fascinating. I think it would be a great thing to pick up that book, The Manager's Handbook. I think that... There's so many different books to read out there, but I think you're going to get a lot out of picking up that book, The Manager's Handbook, Five Simple Steps to Build a Team, Stay Focused, Make Better Decisions, and Crush Your Competition. Love to hear your thoughts. What was your biggest takeaway from that interview with Dave? Shout out to our podcast sponsors, Autopilot Recruiting, Today at Pro, Coach P Consulting, and of course, Club Capital. If you're using an Excel spreadsheet to be able to track your bonus and compensation plan, you've probably got all kinds of fancy things that you're using. There is a better way. What if you were able to take some of the playbooks that you have, the way, the word tracks that you really, the scripts that you want your team to be able to use, you were able to take that, put it right where they're doing the work on a daily basis with a corporate approved CRM system that's a bonus tracking system that's going to sync up with your CRM. There's none better than Today App. Go to todayapppro.com, todayapppro.com. Also, it's so important. I think we all know you got to have good systems and processes documented into playbooks. And I would say taking those things and then putting them in an operating system. But in addition to that, we need to have a good team. In fact, we got to have a great team of A players. And with 
autopilot recruiting and coach peak consulting. You're going to be able to get two of the biggest needle movers out there. We need to be able to find how do we attract A players and do that on a consistent basis. And the hardest parts of doing that is the first part, which is the phone screening and the interviewing and the reviewing of the resumes. And that is a tactical thing that you as the business owner ultimately can hand off to someone else who's going to do a better job of that. Ultimately, you're going to make the decision of whether or not they come on board. And when they do come on board, making the investment to put them and develop them and give them access to their tools and the resources and the mindset and the skill set from someone like Coach P. But first, go to autopilotrecruiting.com autopilotrecruiting.com. Let them know both him and David know that you heard about them on the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, autopilotrecruiting.com and coachpconsulting.com. We appreciate their partnerships and helping to be able to make the Club Capital Leadership Podcast, hopefully something that serves all of you. And finally, making decisions, having the skills to make decisions with financials in the business has been one of the biggest groundbreakers that I really wish I'd have had much earlier in my career, Club Capital can help you to do just that. Go to club.capital, book a no obligation demo, talk to someone on the team and see how they can help turn you know, the back part of the backstage of your business into something that helps you to be able to truly grow and scale your business. Club.capital. All right, everyone, until next episode, lead well. Yeah.